Hey everybody, it's Jason Klom. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to quickly remind you that my next book, Postmodem, The Interwebs Explained, comes out next week on the 17th. You can go to postmodembook.com. That's postmodem book.com. I only spell it out because people don't really use or have modems anymore, and that's kind of the point of the book. It's a fake history of the internet. Um, it's uh, written in character as a guy who's overly enthusiastic and un- understands the internet as though it's 1989, but the book is clearly coming out in 2015. It's goofy, it's fun, uh, but check out the website. There's some nice blurbs from some wonderful comedians and people who have been on the podcast before, and I'm very proud of the book. We're doing a, uh, a reading and book launch party here at The One Up in Sherman Oaks in Los Angeles uh, next Tuesday, the 17th the day the book comes out, at 8 p.m. So there'll be a bunch of people there. It'll be hosted by a friend of the show, Jeremy Guskin, because it would be weird to host it myself. Uh, We'll have a reading from the book. Books will be available for for sale there. Um, And uh, online, uh, you can pre-order the book now, and you'll be able to buy it for $14.99 on the day, on the 17th. You'll also be able to get, uh, you know, e-books, et cetera, eventually. It takes a little longer for that to come out. But anyway, uh, yeah, just want to let everybody know, since I worked a long time on this, check it out. Let me know what you think, and enjoy this episode. This is Josh Mills discussing his mother, Edie Adams, and her uh, her comedy album. Um, it's, it's kind of a concept album. Uh, the concept isn't entirely clear unless you kind of have a lot of uh, context, and we try and, try and establish all that. So enjoy Edie Adams doing a bunch of goofy singing, and uh, Josh Mills talking about it. Thanks so much. <laughs> I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1959. The album is music to listen to records by Edie Adams Sings, question mark, by Edie Adams. My guest is Josh Mills. Thank you for being here. Oh, of course. I am so honored. For being back, of course. Yes. The good thing is that we are finally, and not that I'm like, finally, we don't have to talk about Ernie anymore. I love talking (laughs) about Ernie. However, Ernie Kovacs, in case you guys don't know. But let's talk about Edie Adams, because not only is she your mom, but apparently more of a brilliant comedian than I ever gave her credit (laughs) for, because I did not, I'd never heard this. Yeah, uh, and Ernie does make an appearance on this record a couple times uh, in very bizarre (laughs) Ernie form. Uh Uh, But yeah, my mom was a really, like, she was a smart woman, and she had a great sense of humor, and everybody talks about, you know, women not getting enough credit in comedy, Mm -hmm. and you know... Edie was one of those people. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Like, yeah. It, let's start off with the title. That is, it is easily one of my favorite <laughs> titles of all time, which is another reason why when you told me about it, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This yeah. is the name of it. That's fantastic. I yeah. wish I'd have come up with it. Uh, and also, it's 1959. And yeah. you were just showing me the liner notes. Uh, it's hard to get a co- How hard to get a copy of this album is it? Because I haven't seen it on vinyl. Yeah, if you are searching on eBay or Discogs mm-hmm. or one of those, you can find a copy. But okay. they're they can be pretty expensive. They're okay. not a hundred dollar record, but you know they're in the you know I don't know thirty to seventy five dollar range. Yeah. Um, because it's never been reissued physically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the digital reissue. Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those weird records that uh, you and this is part of the mystique of this record. It's just one of those ones that if you don't come across it, you just don't know about it. Yeah. Like it's it's not like it's talked about a lot. It's not like right. you know everybody mentions it. 
so it's it's just sort of this weird cult underground record that that really is for you know people that are into musical comedy and mm-hmm. jazz and you know comedy itself but it's a weird record that's the other thing too is uh <laughs> i wonder if i've missed it because i will bet it's not going in the comedy section it's probably sitting in people's jazz or vocals or blah 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 well and that's the other weird thing about this record is that and i've seen a few comments uh, on facebook or whatever mm-hmm. and, you know someone saying you know yeah, Edie was a great talent, but she's terrible on this record, and blah, 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 blah. And I kind of have to every now and then point out and say, well, you know, this was a goof. This really wasn't a real... <laughs> yeah. She's bad on purpose, and that's yeah. the joke. So uh, I'm not shaming anyone. Sure. I'm not to, you know, sure. trying to be rude. But uh, yeah, this was a joke. And because she was a Juilliard graduate and, you know, knew everything, Schubert makes a, an appearance on this record... Um, uh, she could mock and make fun of the things that she was learning about because, you know, everybody at Juilliard took themselves so seriously. Oh, of course. And she just thought that was hysterical. So that's part of the joke of this record is that, you know, the intellectuals who understand music and comedy maybe don't have a sense of humor, and that's the joke part of it, oh, partly. Yeah. yeah. And that, well, that is the thing, too, is like I, I, was, I don't know what track I heard first because I, I was kind of listening to them at random at – I got the joke immediately. <laughs> However, like uh, there are a couple where I'm like, oh, maybe she's going to play this more straight. But it, no, like there is this certain commitment to her. Like, yep, yeah, no, this is going to. Oh, no, there we go. Yeah. She's like she fucking turns the tables on you every time. But the key to this record, my mm-hmm. mom always said, was that you had to play it so straight, which is why the music is so good. And that's why Henry Mancini was yeah. the conductor. And that's why Henry so Mancini got all the players. Uh, because they were the best guys in Hollywood. He had just, you know, pretty much done Peter Gunn, so he was sort of yeah. the, the new guy. And they trusted him with bringing it all in, and of course he does, you know, he's now Henry Mancini. Yeah. Um, so that was, the, that was the, the, the hardest part, I think, was A, not laughing, <laughs> and B, was basically playing it straight, playing it, you know, not exactly for a laugh, mm-hmm. but with enough of a, a hint that, you know, you'd probably get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do do you any idea? First of all, what label was it released on? We don't really talk about that, but I'm curious who decided this was fun to release. Yeah, this was um, on MGM Records, which Shit. is now owned by Universal. All right. And, uh, you know, <laughs> years later, they would release the first Velvet Underground, you know, right. stuff. So uh, they were an interesting. But, yeah, MGM was the... Uh, uh, label. My mom had recorded for RKO and mm-hmm. later Columbia and things like that. So uh, this was a one-off. What kind of stuff had she done before this in terms of records that she had? Well, yes, uh, she had done uh, a couple records, and she did a few more later, which were very serious records. Which were, you know, mm-hmm. to her, there's you know later in the '60s, she does a record um, uh, called Showtime on Broadway, which is mm-hmm. show tunes, and she has people like Buddy Rich playing on the record, and Jeez. you know, great folks like that. Um, there were a few other ones like on RKO that she had done that were very straightforward, real records, which I think was why people thought this was a serious yeah. record is that she, you know, and, and if you look at the album cover, um, yeah. you know, she, it is a little cheesecakey in oh, the yeah. sense, but she's not like bearing anything, but mm. she's dressed up and she's got her hair done and she looks like a glamour queen mm-hmm. uh which was kind of making fun of her other records where yeah. you know there's one um that was on rko and i for some reason am completely blanking on the title of it um it was reissued in the 90s by very saraband um but she's you know peroxide blonde mm-hmm. and she kind of has this very sort of sensual jane mansfield sort of 
you know, come hither, mm-hmm. you know, in ecstasy <laughs> sort of look. Um, and I think that's what the parody of was this was just that, you know, she can look good, but she's also funny. For sure. Yeah. That's that's the <clears throat> difficult thing, too. That like, like uh, To go back to what I was saying earlier, I interrupted myself, was that the liner notes in the back are pretty much about her comedy chops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was shocked. I was really shocked at that. Well, because she'd been on, uh, like I said, she'd done Juilliard and she had done a lot of, you know, live stuff. By this point, she'd already done uh, some musical theater. She did... Mm-hmm. Um, Wonderful Town with mm-hmm. Rosalind Russell, and then she did Lil Abner, uh, which she won a Tony for. Oh, yeah, right. So she was very adept at doing comedy, but then she also had done Ernie Show. So she was very much the straight man, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, on the show, um, but in on the gag and trying to sure. you know improve upon it. And her job in that show uh, was to be the one that didn't keep the joke from going so crazy that there was no point to it or there was no center to it. She was always the one trying to bring Ernie back to reality and saying, yes, agent X, but are you sure that there wasn't the time that you said, and then Ernie, Oh yes, right. Of course. And then he'd go back to it because it could kind of easily go off, but that was part of it. The other thing was that my mom was known for things like her Marilyn Monroe impression. (laughs) Um, And, you know, if you think about it, in the mid 1950s, mm-hmm. who was really doing that? Um, so she was really like, and she was great. There's great clips you can see them on. Oh my God, they're fantastic. Yeah, the DVD or, or YouTube, dare I say, uh-huh. um, where you can kind of see, you know, and the audience gets it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's funny. And her Jane Mansfield yes. is also fucking fantastic. Well, and the funny thing about that is that Ernie, who is Hungarian, mm-hmm. Uh, was friends with Jane Mansfield because of her husband, Mickey Hargitay, oh, yes, right. who was Hungarian, who was Mr. Universe, Mr. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Oh, he was... I only just the other day realized, found out that Mariska Hargitay was her daughter. I mean, can you... I mean, yeah, she's got some serious genes. Right. Uh, he was like literally, I think it was Mr. Universe or, or one of those, like pre-Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. but one of those guys that came over from Eastern Europe and like <laughs> looked great. So my mom and Ernie and Jane and Mickey, I mean, I have tons of pictures of them hanging out together. They were like really good friends because they could talk about hungry and Hungarian food and all the things they missed. But I just love that that's a thing. But also, by the way, I'm really good at imitating you. Yes. yes. That's so fucking weird. Yeah. And solid, too. I mean, like, one of my one of my favorite old... Cl- I used to... My mom used to buy blooper tapes because that was our family. Yeah. And there was one... there. I cannot remember the award show, but all I remember is Mickey Rooney walking up next to Jane Mansfield <laughs> at chest level. Right, but, yeah. right. So, but it just that exact, like, she just nails the impression. It's so good. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's, she's you know, she's one of those people that, um, you talk about Joan Rivers, or you talk about Phyllis mm-hmm. Diller, or you talk about, you know, uh, Rusty Warren, whoever, mm-hmm. and uh, they were doing stand-up. My mom did not do yeah. that at all, yeah. but she was a comedian, for sure, and, yeah. uh, you know, but, but a little, I think she tried to, you know, impart a little of the, the Juilliard stuff into her comedy for sure yeah. well that's that's i mean that kind of subtlety obviously to the point where people took this album and are still taking this album seriously yeah, yeah. subtlety is subtlety like it's that's the art of it man like <laughs> yeah. that's so crazy did now i'm not going to assume this but did ernie have any hand in making this album i believe he did okay. i don't think he had a lot of time to spend on the album sure. but uh there are a few times uh, on one of the tracks indian love call which mm-hmm. later ends up on a compilation that Erwin Schuss had put together for Varese Saraband, 
uh, called the Ernie Kovacs Record Collection. Okay. Uh, which was basically just a collection of songs from Ernie's career. Okay. okay. Uh, not a comedy record, but right. great songs and, and silly songs. Uh, but Ernie ends up, you know, when they're doing Indian Love Call, I'm calling you, and Ernie's yelling, Alfred, <laughs> and, you know, in the background. And he's he kind of shows up there, here and there, for sure. Yeah. When you hear my love call ringing That one has an Ernie feel to it. You've only maybe because it's making me think of certain sketches of his, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so sorry, Jesus. Um, it's okay. So what's interesting to me though is like, I'm, I'm wondering. First of all, did she ever talk about the production of the album with you? Because you showed you were looking through contracts earlier. You still have the original contracts, and they're from '56. Yeah. So three years to get this thing out. Yeah, my mom. Uh, uh, did not throw anything away and i do have the actual contract that she signed uh with mgm talking about you know how we get rid of the or how we deal with rko who had put out a record with her and things like that um first of all i again she wanted to play it very straight Mm -hmm. so she wanted to make sure that whoever they had putting this together played the music you know as you would be playing it Mm -hmm. um no like stuff like uh there's a, a song that ernie was famous for in a way this group called Clancy's Clowns which were a saxophone group uh, and they would sort of make jokes musically you know kind mm-hmm. of like whenever there was a you know you know but yeah. that's the kind of music that it would be okay my mom was like that does not play here yeah it has to be uh, played straight so sort of that was the first part of it uh, the second part of it was just never to laugh <laughs> when yeah. you were singing yeah. um, <laughs> And, you know, they're doing Singing in the Rain, and there's, you know, the, the fake you know, thunder and lightning, and she's singing about how, how glorious things are, and, you know, the, you hear the thunder and things like that. Um, but she was just very clear, you know. She wants it played straight, and it would be funnier. Yeah. Yeah. Did she, do you know, did she sketch it out? Like, I mean, again, I don't know to what, like, I'm curious how she... I don't. I don't think it. so. I mean, if you look at some of the people that they used uh, as composers or mm-hmm. things they were covering, uh, there's Johnny Mercer, mm-hmm. there's Shakespeare, there's yeah. Schubert, there's all these things. So again, it's sort of incorporating all those ridiculous uh, classes that she had to take in the acoustics of the theater, yeah. and you know, uh, trying to figure out uh, things that she knew she'd never have to use in her practical career, mm-hmm. but that's what you got your degree in in 1950 whatever in in new york at juilliard so uh i think she really wanted to ernie's goal was always to to make fun of the people that didn't realize they were being very funny sure and i think that that was this is a continuation of that um so i think uh she really wanted to kind of like poke fun at the establishment or Mm -hmm. people that you know like Ernie always did in the same way, you know, where you'd have somebody sitting down with a, a 
uh, a tuxedo, mm-hmm. and you'd see them watching, you know, a uh, a quartet play, and they're shushing him to not smoke, and he can't do that, and terrible, like, what are you doing? And then you look at it, and it's a mural, mural excuse me, it's a Dutch Masters commercial, and they're all smoking. <laughs> uh, so it's making fun of the establishment, yeah. which is, you know... Before making fun of the establishment with something to do. Right. Yeah. Right. In the 60s. God, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too, is it's, is it's striking me as when it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the closest thing I can even come up with in terms of a comparison, if there needs to be one, is like Spike Jones. But it's still played straighter than a Spike Jones yeah. record. Yeah. Like, it's like, I'm doing the song. I, I, I've got the skills. I'm going to perform the song. I'm just going to fuck with it. Well, this is sort of like Eisenhower's America. This isn't mm-hmm. Kennedy. I mean, we're right. still talking about a very, you know, post-war, um, pre-Beatles world mm-hmm. where everybody was sort of in a boom economy and America was what it was. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of people making fun of the establishment because sure. those were the people that were keeping everything on a straight and narrow for the rest of us. Yeah. So that's, I think, the genius of Ernie. And I think that's what my mom found attractive uh, about him. Uh because she didn't like taking things seriously right. uh, either. Uh, so it's a, I mean, I wouldn't say daring. It's just a very odd choice to make in 1956 when she signs the contract and 1959 yeah. when it's released that, yeah, we're going to make fun of, like, you know, the elite. And, I mean, honestly, at and young, she's only 29 then, right, when she signs the contract. So that's pretty damn young to be... Yeah, this kind of a leap after making a plenty of quote unquote serious records. Well, she used to talk about the fact that when uh, she when she met Ernie Mm -hmm. and there was the whole issue with the custody of the the girls and the girls being taken away from Ernie and they were kidnapped and spending two years literally trying to find them and then coming then they find them. And now all of a sudden, my mom, who's in her sort of mid twenties, mm-hmm. is all of a sudden the mother to two girls. That's so crazy. she's never had kids. Yeah. Now she's got to like look after these girls, and they, you know, sent them to very exclusive private schools in New York, and then eventually in Los Angeles. But my mom would tell me that she would she'd go to a school like, you know, John Thomas Dye here in uh, Bel Air, which is a very exclusive school, mm-hmm. and she would have to show up with her little like. You know, Jackie O pillbox hat and her white gloves, and you know, with the uh, uh, widow's whatever it's called, the the mesh, the veil thing, yeah, the yeah. veil, mm-hmm. and pretend to be about fifteen years older than she was. So weird. And here she was, like you know, sort of the prime of her youth. Yeah. And so I think you know that was part of it that my mom was was an old soul before she really wanted to be, but she was. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's one thing, too, is, like, some of the greatest comedy <laughs> is obviously, like, this huge form of release, and I, I do want to get to it track by track, too, but, like, sure. it is, there is just something so sort of ecstatic about the energy that she's putting into each of these songs, like, especially, oh, shit, and I had it written down, there's one where she's just really, really not singing, and that's what's the great, like, she's just really tearing it up by not singing properly and it's i gotta let me pull up the track listing and i, I should have sure. written it down um I, I started an email to myself earlier with my notes and um well actually let's first talk about singing in the rain because that was the first one that really hit me yeah i really fucking love this interpretation of that song yeah i mean it's it's and the, and again you know 
listening to that track, you'd be surprised that people would actually not hear the humor in it because (laughs) it's, you know, a lot of it is the special effects of how ridiculous, you know, here she is singing (laughs) about, you know, I'm laughing at love and all that stuff. And, you know, it's thunder and lightning. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, it's just great. And again, the music is Henry Mancini doing (laughs) Singing in the Rain. It's gorgeous. So if we could find the way to isolate the tracks, maybe there's an instrumental record or I don't know. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) But... uh, that's yeah that's a great one for sure and uh i mean i'll, I'll play uh clips are okay in this yeah oh, absolutely. okay good but like sure <laughs> tell universal i don't care <laughs> i mean but it's not just the sound effects either but like at some point like all of a sudden she's singing with a cold and it's just right. so it's, a, it's yeah. an adorable joke and i just like it's just so perfect where if like on, that's another thing too is like these are songs where at this period at, at this point they're some of them are standard some of them are are maybe a little more rare there's some that i definitely had not heard because i'm not alive in the 50s right, right but uh it's not only like of course that screw you to authority but it's also like well, you've probably heard this song a thousand goddamn times right right so here's here's a new interpretation that you might enjoy <laughs> sounds like you, this would have been a perfect party record and yes. i wonder if that's how how that's how i would have used it well, and what's interesting about that, and I did try to look this up, and I can't, I can't find it. There's really no listing of who the players were on this record. Yeah. And my mom told me, and this is one of the moments where I wish I wrote it down or listened, you know, a little more intently or sure. whatever. Um, <clears throat> but these were all, like, session guys. And my mom loved being around comedians and musicians mm-hmm. because she felt that, they they were fun and funny to be, you know, to be around. Uh, but they were all both very smart, and you couldn't be a good musician if you weren't smart. Yeah. So she wanted to make sure that she had great players, and I wish I knew who the guys were. So if yeah. anybody can, you know, do a little research or you know feel like they they have something in the you know Mancini archives at mm-hmm. UCLA or anything oh, yeah, else, right? Uh, I'd love to know um, who they are. I mean, they're <clears throat> probably you know the equivalent of like the Wrecking Crew before there was the Wrecking yeah, Crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, I don't know how we got from, you know, the, the one to the other, but I think that there was a segue that I was making somehow. But, yes, the, the, that's something I would love to know. A better host would track his guest segues. Or yeah. a better guest would remember <laughs> what he was talking about. Um, but, okay, so there are a couple here. And, and uh, oh, really? You're going to crash on me. Great. Right that's in the middle of it. Um, the Whiff and Poof song is the pretty whiff, And that's what it opens with. Holy crap. Uh, and th- this is the other thing, too, where I'm, I'm going to definitely be limited is, I can tell that when she's doing an impression and I can tell it's right. pretty solid but shit am I I don't I'm not again I'm pretty is that her Marilyn that sounds like her Marilyn Yeah okay yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. at least I'm on on ball on the ball with that one And and again you know it sounds silly but I've had people saying you know she's singing out of key and she's all out of tune and she's flat on this thing and it's like no Come this on. is the joke like cuz Marilyn was you know a bit of a joke i mean yeah. she was beautiful and gorgeous sure. and whatever but you know she was you know the, this gorgeous thing that that you know couldn't really help herself in the way she you know looked mm-hmm. but acted very sort of frail and kind For of helpless sure. and you know all that stuff before everybody knew how frail she really For was sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so my mom was sort of making fun of that mm-hmm. and so yes that's her yeah. sing the whiffin poofs assembled with their glasses raised on high and the magic of their singing casts its spell yes the magic of their singing of the songs we love so well shall i wasting and mavourning and the rest 
We will serenade our Louis while life and voice shall last. Then we'll pass and be forgotten with the To suss out that absurdity is is not just handy, but it's like I mean, I would hope it would make you popular back back in those days, at least with the right crowd, because obviously you know you can see the shit that's yeah that's going needs to be made fun of yeah. And I wonder now was there a now obviously SNL exists yes. so if you can do a great impression you you might have a job for right. several years right. back then it's just like no this is a thing I can do it's a novelty. I can do it on these shows that are, by the way, probably going to get erased. Yeah. Or yeah. there's just no way to, there was nobody taping them. So mm-hmm. if you didn't catch it, right. there's no repeat. Um, if you didn't catch them when it was airing, and sometimes, you know, Ernie was local, yeah, you didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that my mom maintained, and God bless Steve Allen, I'm not going to talk out of tune in, in this sense, but she would always maintain that his writers would watch Ernie's show that was on in Philly and later that night, mm. stuff would air nationally. Damn it. So I don't know if that was true or not. That's what she had heard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, nobody knew if you were kind sure. of copying or taking oh. some. I mean, what was the who was the comedian that just got that show on NBC that was oh, taken away from him because be, he was? Uh, I can't. Josh Ostrovsky. Yeah. I won't say his <laughs> offensive name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you, this was an era where you could get away with that yeah. kind of stuff because nobody was, if you weren't in Philadelphia watching Ernie's show, you didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, and there was no repeat and there was no internet and there was nothing else. So, you know, you had to catch it. It's but. this weird thing where it's, it's, it's when it is this wild west of where somebody like an Ernie or your mother would see it as an opportunity to do something new. There are other guys like, I don't know how to deal with this. What's everybody else doing? No excuse, but I feel like that is probably how they felt. They're like, fuck, I'm a staff writer. Who's got good ideas that I can take? Well, and, and you know, Ernie's issue with television was mm-hmm. that there were these sort of staff guys that were there brought in by the network to make the show, quote, yeah. unquote, funnier. Um, and Ernie didn't want that at all. He wanted to have nothing to do with the establishment. Um, and he wanted to do the complete opposite. And I think my mom learned from him and used her talent in a different way to make, you know, musical comedy. Ernie was not a... Uh, a singer. Sure. Uh, he, he did try. He's not terrible, but he is no, I don't know, Dean Martin, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was a certain sense of even then, you know, we, we have to kind of make fun of the, you know, the power elite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the one that I was thinking of was Low Here, the Gentle Lark. She's yeah. this, this cute, sensitive little voice, which yes. is what a lot of these are, too. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll give it a listen. What is the character <laughs> she's... And then just not... Almost not on tune at all. But you can also hear underneath, like... That's that's another skill that's under uh, underappreciated, is, like, a good actor pretending to act poorly, That's ge- when they really do it, is genuinely a good skill. Yeah. Same thing. It, not just a good singer, but a professional expert singer. Juilliard trained. Yeah. Well, my mom, later in her life, uh, when she was doing uh, a lot of 
Vegas and doing mm-hmm. a lot of theater uh, across the country when you used to actually get dressed up and go to a nice hotel and you mm-hmm. go to the ballroom and there was, you know, Edie was there for a week and then it was followed by Marlena Dietrich and then it was, you know, Nancy Wilson or whoever. Um, her act consisted of a good chunk of it was impressions. I mean, mm-hmm. she did Ethel Merman. Uh, awesome. She did uh, Deanna Durbin. She did uh, all sorts of like, oh, she did Jaja. I mean, <laughs> and my mom picking out like very small subtle things or in Jaja's case very overt <laughs> things uh was really why she was so good i mean yeah. she could pick up you know she was an actress too so she could you know portray a, an ethel merman and you know once again my mom is in a movie with ethel merman right for, in you know it's a mad 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 world so she got to see her firsthand so, you know a lot of people now you have an impression you're kind of watching it you know on television or you're seeing it you know another way but my mom was actually you know Jeanette McDonald, she probably didn't meet, but mm-hmm. other ones that, you know, she did. So she knew Zsa, Zsa very well. Another Hungarian mm-hmm. who oh, were right. quickly Point. taking over Hollywood in the 1950s. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. So, <clears throat> yeah, she she could pick up little subtle things or she could pick up uh, uh, very broad stuff that was, you know, a little bit more brash. Or, yes. Yeah. Did she, through your life, knowing her uh, as your mother, it's a dumb sentence, um, <laughs> but like, did she keep relatively the same sense of humor, or did it? Did you see it evolve into something different as she got older? She, well, she always had to have a sense of humor, because my mom's life was a series of, like, really big highs and really big oh, yeah. lows, so yeah. whether it was, you know, as sad as Ernie passing away... Or, you know, her daughter, my sister, passing away, yeah. um, which was obviously low, low, low points. Uh-huh. Uh, she was able to kind of pull herself out of these things. And my mom was an incredible – she just had like a will or a life force or something that just, you know, I think a lesser person would have gotten under the covers and just never gotten out. Yeah. Um, but she had two other kids that weren't even hers that she mm-hmm. needed to take care of. She had her own daughter at the time when Ernie passed away and created her own show with some help from some great lawyer friend of hers, George Zachary and Henry Bollinger, who is her, her publicist and is actually still alive and was Ernie's publicist. And he Crazy. helps us out with uh, my mom's estate That's and Ernie's awesome. estate. He's an amazing guy. Um, but even as far as, you know, back as... 50 years ago in 1963, 64, 65, she had these people kind of helping her along. And, you know, she had a great career after Ernie. Mm-hmm. Um, they helped with the Muriel Cigar commercials, uh-huh. which made her a bit of a, an icon. Yeah, my mom um, was talking about that on the phone with me <clears throat> earlier. And those were, I mean, my mom, I looked through some pictures. Again, she didn't throw anything away. And mm-hmm. I look at all the things she went to. My mom went to like, you know, there's a picture of her with Pete Rozelle, who's the commissioner of the NFL, and she's at the first Super Bowl. She'll go, you know, to Churchill Downs and go to a horse racing event because they were big sort of blue collar. Well, maybe not Churchill Downs, but but (laughs) the Super Bowl and baseball games and stuff like that. And they wanted her out there. So she met like a a crazy amount of people that you just wouldn't think. Um, But I think that she, yeah, to get back to your question, she did have... A sense of humor always um she wasn't always doing impressions and things like sure. that sure 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 but she she definitely tried to see a funny you know we'd go to a restaurant and you know waiter would have a a, a weird tick or a 
you know, something, and she would kind of like, you know, she kind of like try to do his movements, or she's, awesome. I can make an act out of this guy, or she'd yeah, see yeah. a woman, and another one of my mom's strange talents, she was an amazing um, uh, dressmaker. And yeah. She was right. really good at, 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 you know, making her own clothes and designing her own clothes. So mm-hmm. she'd see someone wearing something, and she'd go, oh, that would be perfect in a comedy act, or mm-hmm. whatever. This woman's wearing this. And she'd go home and she'd sketch it. And so. You know, maybe she'd make it, maybe she wouldn't, but she always would use something in the back of her mind of like, you know, if I ever do a stage show again, or if there's ever a a call to do a guest spot or something like that, she would kind of like, you know, use those things. So she always had a good sense of humor and and kept it for sure. She also, she, and again, we're going to go off of what I read on Wikipedia, so you feel free to correct me, but did she also, she went to design school, correct? She did. Uh, There was a point very early in her life where... She didn't know if she was going to go into acting or if she was going to go into, you know, dressmaking or fashion or I think it was called the Trap Haven School of Design, if I can remember that. Okay. Um, And if the acting thing didn't work out, that was her fallback. Yeah. Um, Ironically, years later in the 80s, my mom decides she's going to use these skills and she starts this company called Bonham Inc., which Mm -hmm. was her family's uh, original name. Not oh. Adams wasn't her real name. It mm-hmm. was Anki. But uh, she she used uh, uh, she used the Bonham name, which was her family name, and started a, a design company. Mm-hmm. And within a few years had dresses in, like, the store window of, like, you know, um, Neiman Marcus and Shit. things like that. So she was that good. Yeah. She would sketch it. She'd have one made. Mm-hmm. And then she would... You know, have somebody who was a great seamstress. She didn't want to do all the <clears throat> the seamstress type stuff. Sure. Uh, but they would make 10, and it would end up in, you know, the Dallas one. It would end up in the New York one and the L.A. one. And they sold for a lot of money. Yeah. So, again, my mom, you know, with these ups and downs, like, that was just nobody really knows about it or mm-hmm. really cared all that much. But she, it personally fulfilled her um, in a way that I don't think acting or singing or other things could because mm-hmm. it was something that she learned as a kid from – you know, being, you know, a little girl and not having enough money and deciding I'm going to make something for myself. Yeah, see, that was my question. Is like, is it too obvious to say that being a depression baby made her self-sufficient? I mean, Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, two things happened. That, for sure, because they moved around. Their family, it was my mom, her brother, Sheldon, and her parents. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes, um, the... I forget what, what my grandfather, who I never met... <clears throat> I forget what his business was, but mm-hmm. during the depression, uh, the store was doing really bad and his partner took all the money and left. And her father, um, said, I can't leave all these people that I owe money to in the lurch. So he worked to pay them back, which Jeez. is what happened when Ernie passed away yeah. and left my mom in about half a million dollars in debt. My mom basically took that ethos from her grandfather to pay him back. But, so they were in a very difficult situation in the depression moved you know from family to family um <clears throat> so she had to be self-sufficient in some ways because there just wasn't enough money yeah they couldn't afford to pay rent and mm-hmm. they couldn't you know sunday dinner was like a big deal they weren't poor sure um but the family they the funny thing is the family they ended up living with uh which was i think her uncle or great uncle he was a postman and really? he was not going to get fired or laid yeah. off because yeah, people yeah. had to get their mail yeah so he had a great job you know in the depression mm-hmm. so 
her dad didn't and i think that really affected her and i think you know my mom my mom could spend money i mean mm-hmm. she was definitely someone like she learned from ernie mm-hmm. um <laughs> but she also had a sense of you know there was impracticality but there was a sense of like we got to keep this on the on the rails ernie yeah. didn't have that at all um, but I think that once she got a little money, she was just kind of like, you know what? I earned it. I'm going to spend it. I got to have a good time a little bit. Yeah. So. Place. Come on with the rain. I have a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a hap, hap, happy refrain. <laughs> singing, just singing in the rain. Why am I smiling? Why do I sing? Why does December seem happy as spring? Why do I get up each morning to start? Happy and head up with joy in my heart. I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling I'm just so many i mean just even if you look at the again off of wikipedia i mean i knew plenty of the story from talking to you previously but like if you just look at these this series of lessons learned so hard yeah yeah to lose that many people to again be born when you were born yeah but I mean, to have three paths to potentially take, like singer, actor. She did she train at the actor studio? Is that correct? Um, she did work, I think, with Strasburg a little bit. And okay. I think okay. you know, my mom would talk about you know knowing Shelley Winters, mm-hmm. and you know, my mom. The one thing my mom always said was about Shelley and Marilyn Monroe was like, we all kind of had the same dress size, we all kind of had the same wrist size, like we we're all very much alike. Mm-hmm. Um, Marilyn just had it. Whatever that factor was, she had it more than anybody else. Um, But she was, I mean, when Ernie died again, when he left her in debt, there was a sense of, well, what do I do now? I, you know, my mom would talk about, you know, wet nails. Mm -hmm. She'd always kind of like put her hands up in the air and go, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I'm not (laughs) sure. I I just painted my nails. I don't know. But when Ernie died, she had to know. And so she went to UCLA and took a course in accounting and figured out this is how I'm going to get myself out of it. And, you know, she did it. It took her about 10 years, but she paid it all back. I mean, she had to not only pay the government back, but live and keep the house and get kids to school and do all those other things. So there was a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. Half a million to the IRS? Is that how much he owed to the... In 1962. (laughs) Yeah, right. What is that the equivalent of? Probably three million now? I mean, who knows? It's very close, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And what's also insane is that you know, there's the story goes that Sinatra and Dean Martin, who were actually pallbearers at Ernie's mm-hmm. uh, uh, funeral, uh, wanted to do a charity event mm-hmm. that was going to be televised, and they would do this thing, and then you know they would give all the money to my mom, and my mom said thanks, but no thanks. Fuck. She just wouldn't take charity. Wow. And wanted to pay it all back herself, so she really had this weird drive from when she was growing up and her father and seeing that example and. Mm-hmm. Um, decided that, you know, this was the right way to do it. And, you know, she knew she could make money. She just needed time. It wasn't yeah. like she could, you know, here's $500,000. Thanks, IRS. Yeah, right. Um, but 
the again the story goes this the IRS are coming up the driveway and they're yeah. in the house going okay we'll take that table and these chairs and that painting and that car and my mom had her lawyer kind of this George Zachary guy um, kind of keep them at bay and mm-hmm. said we'll get on a plan we'll get on a schedule and that's why if you look at my mom's career you know she was in the apartment she was in yeah. you know yeah. some amazing films She's a great part in that movie but she ended up taking a lot of movies literally just to pay money mm-hmm. uh, to the IRS. So at her own expense, she kind of changed the path of her career because yeah. she could have done a lot of other things. But she really just, you know, did she love playing Vegas? But no, but they paid well. Sure. So happily, you know, spending time in Vegas, you know, I kind of spent a lot of my early years ask. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Do, do you think this is to- obviously hypothetical, so there's no way to know, but. Do you think that she sacrificed more stardom, more and like like more mainstream? Because Vegas is one thing, but like, did she sacrifice that? I think so. I yeah. mean, I I think the one thing she didn't like about the Vegas and playing um, hotels and things like that, a they paid great, mm-hmm. but she was away a lot. Yeah. So yeah. half a year she could spend on the road. And with kids and, you know, just missing things, she, you know, really did not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem, though, is that she didn't necessarily want to be on a series, even though that would have mm. paid her really well sure. and it would have kept her at home because she didn't really like a lot of television. She was yeah. just very critical of like, you know, there there was a point in the, in the I think it was late 70s, maybe early 80s, probably 81, 82, where uh, um Oh, the guy that did Aaron Spelling mm-hmm. has a new idea for a great show, and he's already got these ridiculous, you know, huge things coming on the air. He's making a ton of money, so he has this idea for a show called Shooting Stars. Okay, and it's Billy D. Williams and Parker Stevenson as you know actors who become private investigators. <laughs> and my mom is like the bartender at the bar that they go to. Okay, uh-huh. she was like all right, finally I get a series and it's Aaron Spelling and this is going to go and we're going to have this great thing. And it totally flopped. And my mom was like, I picked the one Aaron Spelling show that doesn't go. Um, So she was thinking about it, but she, you know, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, I know is another one that kind of came up at that time, but Mm -hmm. you know, she did her guest spots and stuff, but I don't think she was particularly fond of my dad told me that, that, um, Bewitched was written for her. Fuck. And she just went like, no, this is like not something I want to do. And my dad was like, you're crazy. You can stay home. You can make all this money. It's your show. Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, it's not good. You know, I'm laughing. That laugh was not out of what a dumb decision. I'm like, <laughs> what a strong fucking head. Like, yeah. that's just, no, fuck it. That's not what I wanted. That's amazing to me. And that was an Ernie <laughs> quality that she learned. Yeah. Because Ernie was the one that if your gut and she would say this to me, if your gut is telling you that something is wrong, it's wrong. Don't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Always trust your gut. You'll be right nine times out of ten, sometimes ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that it was a gut decision, but just like don't do the crap. Like yeah. just try not to do the crap if you can help it. At that point, I mean even now, as a not woman, not to be which is crap. I don't no, mean no, that. No, Elizabeth no, no. Montgomery, you're great. I don't want to say. Of course, no, wonderful yes, show. Yes. But <laughs> for her, obviously, wasn't the thing. Yeah, exactly. And knowing that is that's that's more than most people can say for themselves. Yeah. Even if they've already seen plenty of success. Even if, the, I mean, to, yeah, that's just crazy to me. <laughs> like that's amazing. But it, she would have risked. I mean, at that point, 
like aging herself out too. That's mm-hmm. another thing. As a woman, you still would, unfortunately. Yeah, and and I think that the the hard part for my mom was that you know when she got older, she got heavier, mm-hmm. and that happens with a lot of women. Sure, and you know everybody remembers you as how you were at 21 or 29 or whatever. So that's a real difference between men and women and entertainers and comedians is that, you know, you can be a bigger guy or an older guy Mm -hmm. and, you know, still have a great career as a woman. It's very difficult. And even, you know, Phyllis Diller stuff about, you know, how she looks or Joan Rivers stuff about how she looks. It was a way of dealing with, I think the present and the future of like, Okay, we know we know what's going to happen. Yeah. Age is going to happen, and it's an ageist sort of society. I mean, which is another reason why. I mean, maybe the first thing that pops in your head if you listen to this album isn't necessarily gutsy, but like to make yourself unattractive in any way when you are well known for being attractive. Yeah. Not that that's your sole quality, but this is fifty nine. We were not the most. We're still not the most advanced fucking people. No. That's one of the reasons no. why I wanted to do this episode. Is yeah. I'm like, let's talk about sexism a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know. It's it's it is a little daring to I mean to glam yourself up on the covers one thing but then to like do you have okay do you have a favorite track off of this actually because like I'm curious uh, well I mean I I nope, kind of nope, like that's nope, oh, okay no kitty it's okay sweetheart. oh god um singing in the rain is great yeah um and I I just like I like the whiff and poof song I think that's mm-hmm. a really funny one um but you know what's to me the most kind of trippy is like that Indian love call. I think it's just because it's just like out of the blue. It's almost like you can hear like, you know, Monty Python or, 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 <laughs> you know, Saturday Night Live or somewhere just in the end where Ernie's going, Albert, and just <laughs> way in the background, just sort of like, huh? Like, what is this exactly? So I, I kind of dig that one. My cat's ruining your contracts. Oh my God. Your cat, cat. I have an archive okay. ruining cat. It's okay. All right, well, she's a good We're good, cat. we're good. She's a, and that's the other thing, too. Yeah, there's, there, in terms of production, there's a lot of layers on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, do you want to talk about the digital release? Because they are gorgeous sounding. That's the other thing. Okay, so here's what happens. <laughs> um, this record uh, obviously came out in the late 50s, 59. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- not to bore everyone with copyright issues and, you know, issues of the United States versus the UK and all that, but... Mm-hmm. Probably about 63, 64 uh, is when you're going to see a lot of gray market releases coming out. In fact, uh, you saw the Beatles, mm-hmm. or excuse, the Beatles and the Beach Boys put out tracks that were basically bootlegs or demos or things that have been floating around. They put them out on iTunes because it restarts the copyright. Mm. It, in England, it's a 50-year copyright. In the U.S., we have a better lobbying system to go to Congress and say, well, let's make it 75 years. And it's like an 85 years or, you know, it's usually Disney that does it because they own Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, But for music, England has a much less forgiving copyright. Mm -hmm. So there is a company in the UK that is releasing all this, you know, 1963, 64 now, 65 stuff and earlier Mm -hmm. that they say there's no copyright on anymore. It's now public domain. If you talk to the record labels, that's not the case. But they don't have enough time to look for every Pat Suzuki record sure, out there sure, and sure. try yep. to, you know, enforce it. So I'm on iTunes one day. I look up Edie Adams, as I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. The weird things pop up. And lo and behold, this record comes up with a totally different artwork uh, with the same title. And it's this 
gray market sort of UK company. And I realized they've just bootlegged it. Yeah. And just claimed it as public domain. Yeah. Change the art. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Still got my mom on the cover. Mm-hmm. That's a bonus. So I talked to some friends who I know in the music industry and said, who can I talk to at Universal, which now owns MGM? Talked to a guy over there who basically said, thank you for letting me know. And within two or three months, they had claimed it as their own and okay. changed the artwork. Um, I bought it just to make sure I had a copy so I could sure. prove anything. Sure. Um, but now it's digitally released, and that's the only reason it ever got released digitally is that mm-hmm. Universal had to make a claim. Wow. Um, they didn't necessarily come to me and say, we'd love to reissue the Edie no, Adams no, no, yeah. record. So. Um, but it does sound great, and I'm glad it's out yeah. there in some form. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it is gorgeous. You should, people should pick it up. I mean, uh, I do. How old is the song "Tiptoe Through the Tulips"? I didn't look it up because I'm obviously more familiar with uh, Tiny Tim. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. But I really like her. That's a fun too. one. Yeah, I, I don't know how old that is, but it's a. Uh, <laughs> it's a nursery rhyme. Uh, you must right. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Bef- uh, I and I honestly like the one thing I'm missing like is to know where she's doing an impression and where she's just doing a goofy voice because it's so great her commitment to these little <laughs> characters that she's picked. Like, because yeah. a couple of them are just like kind of like weak sounding like kind of a little kid voice right uh right at the end of the song paradise i don't know if it's ernie again but somebody it, yawns yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay. definitely him yes <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's ernie it's fantastic um uh let me see uh, da, 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 da. so we've gone through your favorite tracks uh when did you first hear this one how long did you know it existed for well i I knew about this record when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point where I would, you know, see my mom's records and kind of roll my eyes a bit. And, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm into The Who or Adam sure. and the Ants or I don't know what I'm listening to. And it wasn't rock and roll. So mm-hmm. here's my mom telling me another story. Oh, I want to hear it. <laughs> um, so I don't think I realized it was a comedy record. I mm-hmm. think it was just I thought it was just a record that, you know, she put out. Um but then as I got older into my late teens and early 20s, I started to pay attention to, to those things and kind of think, well, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, the interesting thing about my mom's, well, this record, but in a broader sense, you know, pre-Beatles, okay, there's no rock and roll, uh-huh. really. I mean, there is, but it's, sorry, it's Elvis and it's, sure, it's, sure, sure. it's not the British invasion. Um, it's a very American sort of form. And then... 
it's pre drugs. I mean, it's yeah. pre LSD. It's pre really marijuana before it gains consciousness. So even the thought of being subversive or different or making fun of that Eisenhower type America, mm-hmm. you know, three, three martini lunch is, you know, that's the norm at that point. Yeah. Uh, is, is pretty out there. So I think that's the genius and the weirdness of this record is just that, you know, let's play it straight, quote unquote, and also make it a funny record that, you know, you have to pay attention to. It's not, again, that's another very much an Edie Adams trait is pay attention, like listen to this. Mm -hmm. Don't just, it's not, you know, something for the background when you have your TV on or whatever. It's like, it's a party record. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of party records, can we talk about this weird (laughs) release that you have sitting yeah pants right now. yeah <laughs> um sometimes i go on ebay and i search and i had seen one once before and i was really pissed i didn't buy it but there was a seller in japan who was selling a 10 inch uh by eddie eddie adams which is how they have it on the record and i'm looking at it and I realized that it's all the songs from Music to Listen to Records by. And what it was was a 10-inch Japanese issue of this record, which they had retitled You and the Night and the Music. <laughs> and even more bizarre, if you We'll have to take a picture of this. You might have to scan this. Mm-hmm. It's a cheesecake cover of Not My Mom, but it's basically a woman a woman's ass Mm -hmm. and i first thought oh my god i cannot believe my mom posed for this then i looked closer which i didn't really want to do of course and then i thought oh it's not her (laughs) so they just the in 1959 uh you know what is it lion is the other record company on here as long as as well as mgm Uh uh-huh they put this out in japan so i had to buy it and uh, it was expensive but it's pretty great yeah so it's eddie adams you and the night and the music (laughs) And that's music to listen to records by. That's how complicated just releasing an album is. Yeah, different iterations, and obviously now sixty years later, it's even well, crazier. Fifty years later. What I think is interesting about all that's wrong is that is all that's right with this mm-hmm. in the same sense is that they really thought this was a serious record. Mm-hmm. This is the joke is, hey, buy this picture of this lady's ass and like you know it's Eddie Eddie Adams and you know they didn't realize it was a joke. No. Yeah. So again, I think you know, we're you're 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 finding that not everybody got this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it and it is a listener. I think people should give it like you know, get it on iTunes. Is that is that where you would recommend I, I have them go? Yeah. Okay, good. Get it sure. on iTunes, um, and then I don't know, go scream at somebody and tell them to re-release it on vinyl. Like uh, you know, I mean, obviously tell tell Josh first because yeah, Josh yeah. needs to help make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have reached out to the Mancini estate and haven't really gotten a lot of response, but yeah. I would love to physically release this. Um, yeah. You know, uh, in, I think it would be a great Record Store Day vinyl. 100% of them, um, yeah. 12-inch or, you know, if you want to do a 10-inch of this weird cover. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, you know, CD, I don't know, but I'd love to put this out um, in some form. Yeah. Besides digital. Yeah, for sure. Did... Before I totally shut us down, because I don't want to without talking about it, did she ever, we'll get serious for a minute, did she ever tell you, like, any specific stories of having to deal with the rampant sexism she had to have been dealing with in the 50s? I'm just curious if there's anything, like, kind of career-altering that might have happened to her that... Well, 
not I wouldn't say career altering, but, but maybe every day. Actually, I shouldn't <laughs> just say that. Like it would have yeah. been an everyday thing. Well, my mom, when I was younger, you know, it's hard to admit your mom was a hottie. Sure. Uh, as I get older, I can distance myself from you know the comments and the the talk yeah, yeah, and the yeah. whatever, which is totally you know probably appropriate. It wasn't my mom, <laughs> right? Right. right. Uh, but she would always after Ernie passed away and she had to become more aware of finances and how to pay the IRS and serious stuff, how to yeah. avoid jail, how to yeah, not, right. not have your things repossessed, all that stuff. Uh, she would pretend to be the dumb blonde that everybody thought she was. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't at all. Sure. So she would be in meetings and she would kind of like take this sort of like, I don't know, like, I don't know. And then get out of the meeting and talk to her lawyer and go like, this is what I want to have done. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I think that my mom's, the great part about my mom and the, the tragic part of my mom was that she basically made her own mistakes. Mm-hmm. So at least she was in a position where she could call the shots. Yep. Frequently, she didn't make the right choices all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were moments where she would have like enough money to buy like a ridiculous beach house. Mm-hmm. And we you know lived in Malibu and everything was great. And then she decides that she wants to sell that. And we have a farm in Bakersfield that, you know, basically the, the market falls out of the almonds. And, oh, you know, three years later, we lose literally lose the farm, bought the farm shit. at some point. Wow. Um, so she made those choices on her own. Mm-hmm. They were completely, I mean, taxes and I mean, she understood a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she just she always pretended to be what everybody thought she was in business. But I mean, if you look at her show. Mm-hmm. That she did the Edie Adams show, which was on ABC from sixty three to sixty four. That show is all her, yeah. And she completely, you know, the guests, the music, the the com- the writers, the comedians on the show. That's all her. She could have done the most banal sort of whatever just to pay the bills, yeah. but she really wanted to make something great, and she. I mean, I think she did. Yeah. Um, but in negotiations she got whatever she wanted she was the producer Mm -hmm. she was the star and she was the costume designer as well that's awesome so my mom was not a dumb woman by any stretch and i think she just at some point said you know i'm not gonna have anybody tell me what i can and can't do anymore there's just a game she had to play in order to get that done right see that's the thing i mean that's the that's that's the shitty reality of it but to have the where not just the wherewithal but the to stick with it, mm-hmm. to keep doing that, because that yeah. could, that could more they could just like kill your insides if you were not strong enough, and like to be that strong throughout all of that. Well, and my mom, she always said that she wasn't a feminist because she always came from the perspective of I like someone to hold the door open for me, mm-hmm. I like somebody to hold my chair and you know all that stuff or open the car door or whatever it sure, is. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but she was like equal pay for equal work by mm-hmm. all means. I mean, she was just like, you know, more of like a humanist. I think yeah, she yeah. took a, a much harder stance on that stuff. She didn't understand why she would be paid less because she was a woman or, I yep. mean, those things were just like, you know, rampant. And she just kind of thought that was absurd, but I don't know too many women in the 1960s who had their own show and produced it. And, mm-hmm. you know, she really fought for what she believed in. So, Give them hell, Harry. Absolutely right. Yeah. What yeah. What if her stuff is available, like stuff that's been re-released and stuff you've worked on? Sure. Um, well, 
aside from the D, the, there's a four DVD set, uh, which is out now, mm-hmm. um, called Here's Edie, which was the name of her show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's every episode. It's packed with extras. Um, everything that we were unable to clear uh, for the Ernie Kovacs DVD set that we did on Shout Factory, we, we included on her set. So all these, there's Marilyn impressions, there's all sorts of <laughs> other <laughs> legitimate uh, songs that she sang. So it's packed with bonus stuff on that. Uh, we also reissued about two or three years ago through uh, a really awesome company called Omnivore mm-hmm. uh, was Christmas songs from the Ernie Kovac show that oh, she sang. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so that is pulled from, you know, audio air checks mm-hmm. and made onto, you know, they, we literally picked one year where she sang a, a, a Christmas song a day up through New Year's, actually. So there's actually a New Year's song on That's it as crazy. well. And we made that uh, a disc, so it's called the Edie Adams Christmas Record, or Christmas Album. Um, and then there's her stuff on, you know, the Ernie Kovac show, which mm-hmm. we put out with Shout. Um, and if you go on eBay, I mean, you can find her in, you know, weird things like uh, The the Seekers, uh, which was a, a miniseries, mm-hmm. or she was on Vegas, or she was in Bosom Buddies, and they're all on DVD. Awesome. So I'm always scouring and trying to find some long lost Macmillan and wife that my mom was on, <laughs> um, which is great. So, uh, that stuff is pretty awesome. And also if you're on eBay, just do yourself a favor and search for Eddie Adams. Just, <laughs> just to be sure, just to be sure. You never know. I want to know if there were any more, any, any other re-releases like that. Like yeah. Just that nobody ever found. I actually was given a couple of, I'll show you the Cosby's that I was given that are of a similar ilk. Oh yeah. Uh huh. This is the only Cosby's I'm going to hold on to now. I think at this point, yeah. the other yeah. ones are going to get defaced and auctioned off. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for, oh, wait, wait, what's the website though? Cause the, you do have a website oh, yeah. for all her stuff, right? Just edieadams.com and erniekovacs.com. Uh, we sell stuff, but there's all sorts of information and, uh, sometimes I run a little contest here and there and, mm-hmm. you know, just gotta keep getting the stuff out there. And Active Facebook pages too. Yes. That is the one thing I will say that I am again with the, my mom not throwing anything away, I, I find more insane photos <laughs> of Ernie and my mom, and it's it feels like it's never ending. Yeah. Um, so I'm always posting, you know, something every day or you know five times a week mm-hmm. uh, that is from our own archive of bizarre photos of my mom with celebrities or personal issues or personal things. Not issues. There's no issues there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm always very active on Facebook. How yeah. many filing cabinets full of stuff are we talking? You don't even want to know. Um, I have scripts that she was offered. I have scripts that she was in. I have contracts. I have. It's 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 overwhelming. Yeah, and I bet. I one bet. day I'm gonna have to pay someone to archive it all because right. I can't go through it all. It's no. just too much. No, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's one of those things where like that. There's a part of my brain that clicks when you say that. I'm like, holy shit. There's all that stuff. Like it's also yeah. like. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. I don't want to be the person to organize it either. No. But I want I want to be able to see it. Yeah. So somebody needs to, to, to do that because, God, that's so the, – the hidden sh- – the shit that must be hidden in there is fascinating. Well, and there's stuff that, like, I look at it and I just go, like, I cannot believe that she kept this. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. again, it has to do – I think it really has to do with how afraid she was of the IRS. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, she had tax returns from the 1950s. Yeah. And she just was – Kind of paranoid in the right for the right reasons that you know if there's any question I got it here mm-hmm. I, everything is here, so she just did not throw anything away and yeah. uh, the archive is is alive and well and and 
breathing and <laughs> living true. embodiment of Edie and Ernie. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back. Well, thank you. Obviously, you're going to come thank back you, again because I love having you on the show. Oh. It's always fun. I'm just glad we finally got to actually talk about your mom. I, I, I love that. It, and me too. It's so much fun. And, and, you know, maybe one of these days there will be something, you know, a re-release or something to talk about on the yes. show because that would be nice. There will be more. Um, guys, go listen to this album right now. I say guys generally. See, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in a totally feminist mood. I, you know when I say guys Sexist that I, I know I'm such a bastard. Um, go buy the album. It's, it's got the greatest title in the world. If just if not just for the title alone, go get it. And then it is brilliant. And hopefully you enjoy the. Hopefully I pick some good clips in this one. Um, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com.